Hi, and welcome to the Fishing Matters podcast, discussing all things angling from a New Zealand point of view. This is sponsored by The Complete Angler. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to our Fishing Matters podcast. I'm delighted again to have with us Rasmus Gabrielson, who is the CEO of North Canterbury Fishing Game. And those of you who've seen the previous two podcasts that we've had will know that this man is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to what's going on in the area. Rasmus has a background in fishery science, having worked with the Cawthorn Institute and also having uh, just completed a PhD in salmon management. Now, we really feel that this is an extremely good method of getting the message of what's going on in fishing game and what's going on in our local fishery out into you guys. And so if if you uh, do like this, please uh, let us know, and we want to continue to do this because we feel that there's been a lot more engagement than we've had on many of the other things that have occurred around the place. So um, we're going to, without further ado, we're going to start talking about our subject. Remember last time when we were together, we were talking about getting some questions in from uh, various people regarding what it is that's taking place and the changes that are here at uh, North Canterbury Fishing Games. So we've got quite a few. Uh, questions here which we're going to refer to. Thank you for all you who have participated. This is not a one-way street. We definitely want you to give us feedback because then it lets us know what we need to address and so you can feel like you're part of this. After all, we're all part of an amazing fishery. Look, this is New Zealand. We've just got the most amazing fishing on our back doorstep. And I know that sometimes we think, oh, yes, it was better back in whatever year it might be. But the bottom line is that these are still the good old days. And anything we can do to enhance that and make it better for our children and our children's children is very much what we want to do. So, of course, the, the, the great amount of knowledge is in everyone out there. So remember... Uh, as CEO, Rasmus does the job of running everything here. He doesn't necessarily make the decisions. Those decisions are made by the councillors who are elected by you, the, the licence holders. So what you need to do is get out and vote if you want to see change. Uh, he's working with the best of the, his ability with all the things that are given to be tools and directions for himself. So um, welcome, Rasmus. It's good to see you here. Thank you very much, Michael. Not a problem. Yeah, indeed. Now, we've had some interesting uh, feedback, obviously. Uh, major shift in terms of the way that salmon are managed in our North Canterbury area. And, of course, the most major of those changes probably is the uh, change from hatchery-based uh, releases and salmon management to a, uh, a management that looks at the uh, complete picture of how fish move, and that is uh, back into the habitat, making sure that that's up to scratch. Um, just for something to start off with, I would um, just like to ask some questions, because uh, several people here have talked about the cost of the hatchery program, and um, I was quite interested because I'm hearing different figures depending on which side of the fence you are, whether you're pro-hatchery or, or um, uh, perhaps reconsidering hatcheries as to whether they're the best way. So I've heard various um, figures regarding what it does cost to run a hatchery program and what it costs to run the North Canterbury hatchery program, because uh, obviously that is what's uniquely around our area here. Could you perhaps give us a, a bit of an idea of what the true cost of running a hatchery was? Sure, sure. Um, first, must must say that you know this podcast, the first one, and all the questions we've received is a real testament to the success of, I guess, this way of communicating and, and the need for fishing game in general, not just in our region here, but more broadly to put 
permanent records of facts out yep. there. And we're trying very hard to enter an evidence-based decision-making framework here in North Canterbury, which scientific information and surveys of anglers' attitudes and, and values are really important input values. And that's what the council and I are working together on as sort of a frame for how we, how we manage our resource. Um, now, on that hatchery one, which is a, a big topic in our region right now, it signals two things to me. First of all, it signals a little bit of a, a, a loss of faith in nature, which has been really, really focused on hatchery operations and the fact that we have now pragmatic reasons financially, scientific reasons for our concerns for the wild fishery and where our salmon, <coughs> smolts and eggs came from, have made the decision that in the best interest of the wild fishery, we were discontinuing those sea-run salmon hatcheries in the headwaters. It's raised a lot of questions. And, and the cost is one of those. And so what we had here in North Canterbury is we had a hatchery that was run by the region at the cost of two full-time staff members plus vehicles and the associated expense of running that. We did have a large amount of fish, up to 200,000 for some years. And it was partly because we had a commercial contract for a few years on the side with Contact Energy to supply mitigation salmon to the Calusa River. Um, as that contract disappeared, this region continued its salmon hatchery operation, and that cost came out of our regional budget. Um, and of course, that's a huge part of, of our total annual cost. It was at a proportionally about 20 to 25% of our total annual budget was being invested in this one operation. And those staff members were not people that we had on the books beforehand. They were people that was taken on just for this hatchery. So that's very different from a different type of hatchery like McKinnon Creek in Central South Island, where they have a volunteer-based hatchery, much smaller scale, releasing and rearing much smaller numbers of fish down at the mouth of the rivers. So ours were in the headwaters. And so the cost is not insignificant. It was a large amount of our budget. And while people say, well, hatcheries can be self-sustaining if you sell some fish, Maybe that's only really true if you're thinking about a small amount of food cost and everything is based around volunteers. Um, so, so have you got an idea as to you know, what the overall cost might, might be? I mean, is that, is that a relevant statement at this point? Or, or even to put it into another way, what it would cost for a fish which would have come back uh, from having been released from a hatchery, uh, that fish coming back to be caught by an angler, say, what sort of cost would that be? Well, that's a great, that's a great way to sort of frame the cost. What's this actually costing us when we're thinking about catching a fish? And there's been various, various numbers run at, at different rivers looking at this. The Clutha was one of the ones that I worked on with Martin Unwin, where we tried to work out what the cost of a returning hatchery fish salmon to the Clutha River would cost. And the lead author of the Cawthorn Report for, for hatcheries in New Zealand, uh, Dr. Robin Holmes at Cawthron, he, he looked at some costs as well. And generally speaking, based on the cost of running a hatchery here in North Canterbury and the number of fish to come back, which is now at poor ocean survival rates, quite low, uh, the cost is somewhere between $500 to $1,000 for every salmon to come back. Now, if you think about that and you assume, let's positively say that you assume 50% of the fish are caught, which is mm -hmm. quite a high percentage mm -hmm. and probably not right for all rivers, but let's assume that. 
then that would be a true cost of the fish caught by an angler between $1,000 or $2,000. And they sound like quite a large amount of money, right? You can live on lobster for a week here. And so these are difficult choices for our governors to make. Clearly, it's very valuable to the angler who catches a hatchery fish. Um, however, in general, we know hatchery fish tend to replace wild fish. So in the long run, you have to ask yourself, is this actually helping the wild fishery? Is it really delivering a large amount of benefit to anglers? And if so, at what cost? And what can we not afford to do otherwise? And that's the tricky thing here. We have got a lot of things to do with a small amount of money, and it needs to be prioritised the best way possible. Yes, when I hear those figures of uh, one to two thousand dollars, perhaps for a fish, I guess it puts it down into a uh, perspective that says, "Am I getting true benefit from this particular method?" And then when you say things like that, this fish may actually be displacing a wild fish. Surely, coming back to what we talked about uh, right at the beginning, surely uh, we need to trust Mother Nature more in order to get um, the uh, correct. Uh, balance of, of what would be a, essentially a, a self-sustaining fishery, which it has been in the past. Along those lines, if the resources which were formerly put into uh, hatcheries and salmon releases were put into other places like, for example, uh, habitat restoration or, or maintenance, um, would, do you think that that would bring a, a much better result? Would it become more sustainable? What, what's the, the evidence-based uh, reasoning on that? Well, uh, certainly. So um, habitat protection is an absolute core essential component of salmon management, all fisheries management, but salmon in particular. Um, they need those nursery areas and spawning areas to be protected. In New Zealand, we know that they're, generally speaking, far up in the headwaters of our catchments, and they depend on good quality habitat that keeps the sediment out. There are lots of wetlands and they're fragile sort of spring-fed stream systems. Now, if you think about a hatchery operation over a 10-year time costing you between $150,000 to $200,000 a year, and you put all that money aside, that's one and a half to $2 million over a decade. And you could actually buy substantial amounts of habitat, protect what you need to be protected, and then sell off the rest. And so these are, these are things that you can think about as alternative strategies, clearly here, and this is where North Canterbury is going now, we're entering a phase of intensive habitat focus where we're wanting to identify, protect, and restore those key spawning areas that are our natural nurseries. Identify, mitigate, and safeguard those migratory pathways and dangers on the way out, whether it's fish screens, too low flows, degrading estuaries. All of that is an important part of the cycle. Now, um, that's the pathway we've chosen. That's the pathway we're entering into. And it actually leads us into a really exciting collaborative work with the people from the volunteer base. They used to help with some of the hatchery fin clipping. So recently I went and spoke to the New Zealand Salmon Anglers Association where we painted a vision for our collaboration to be focused on taking their interests and assistance into the headwater areas where we're looking to protect this habitat to help us broad scale, start healing these environments. Um, sediment is a key problem in some of those areas. And we're wanting to make sure that they have as best a capability of supporting as many fish as possible. And they don't only make salmon, they make trout and native fish as well. Some of these places like 
the upper Rakaia have some of the most amazing longfin eel habitats that you could ever imagine. And of course, they are part of a big ecosystem. The longfin eels benefit from the salmon carcasses, taking marine nutrients all the way up there and allows them to grow a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and hopefully, uh, probably, assisting them in maintaining their population to a little bit of a better degree. So it all fits into the ecosystem. And I guess one of the things that Ken strikes me when we, we, you say what you've just said is that we have an opportunity. You know, most, most salmon anglers just want to get in and get more salmon back. And this, this sense of being involved is, I think, very important with all of us. So at the present moment, North Canterbury Fishing Game is, is looking to getting a, a, an involvement. Uh, what, what sort of projects do you think might be um, on the go? I know that you've done some uh, work around on, on Glen Arif. Um, are there other projects along that that we can actually get out there and, and feel like we're part of the ongoing success and, and the recovery, I guess, of, of salmon fisheries? Certainly, certainly. We've, we've already got a collaboration with the landowner at, at Glen Arif Station um, up Glenariff Stream up at the Rakaia, where we've fenced off um, a part of, of the land protecting the river, uh, which is great. And as a matter of fact, we had a lovely school class that ran a donation um, through their school, and they've actually put some of their money, a couple of hundred dollars towards $10,000 that we put in, and a large contribution from the landowner. So we pulled all that, we fenced off a great bit of habitat, we're now looking at the next steps, stages. We're looking at other places where we're putting QE2 covenants in with the landowners around the hydro waters area, trying to kind of build, I guess, as good a network of protection as we can. And this is an ongoing one. We're looking at a landowner meeting up the Horonui. The landowners contacted us and a rural advocate up there, looking at another one of our spawning salmon streams to, um, to look at more protective areas that we can do, so make sure that their activities doesn't impact us, that we all contribute to helping preserve these valuable biodiversity hotspots that these spring-fed streams are. Well, it sounds like there's lots of alternatives. I think sometimes we felt that when the hatchery program was curtailed that somehow we would, um, we would be losing out and just doing nothing. But if we can put this in a more positive line, um, obviously that will help the, the natural uh, recovery of, of these wonderful spawning areas. And I know that I love being up in those areas myself. I think it's fantastic trout fishing to be had there, but I'm not allowed to say that because um, I'll have you all up there. We can't have that, can we? No. Now, a couple of other things which um, have come up in, in our uh, questions. One of them was regarding whether or not uh, there is still going to be some hatchery uh, capacity that will allow uh, trout to be raised and therefore put back into the um, release program. Yep, certainly. So what North Canterbury had was we had three facilities, two in the headwaters dedicated primarily to salmon, sea run salmon, uh, but they, we grew some of the trout at one of those as well. Um, and then we had a third grow-out facility here in Christchurch, just on the edge of town, where we um, moved fish down to actually stock our um, stepping stone fisheries, which are a series of places where we release fish close proximity to the Christchurch city where people can go and have a first experience. This is a program we're intending to maintain and develop where our vision from the council is that we would like to facilitate an opportunity for people in the urban areas to get connected to fishing as an activity 
and, and that's a mechanism to connect them to nature. We need more people to be connected to nature, get out of the cities, into the rural environments, have an understanding of nature and nature's need, have an understanding of the rural communities and their needs and their use of the environment. And I guess these stepping stone fisheries, which do need to be stocked because they don't have a lot of self-sustaining populations, they are a way for us to get people a first experience and then they go on somewhere like Lake Sumner or Lake Coleridge or the Waimak Lakes and then they can kind of go on a camping trip for three, four, five days and then the big rivers and that gets them into the sport. Mm. Well, sounds very positive. I should get into the fishing tackle industry. That would be a place to go and, uh, and, and do well. No, look, it's, it's great to hear those things, uh, Rasmus, because I think that one of the things that we are, we're always... Uh, looking for is, is some sort of hope and direction and to hear these things I know for me has been a very positive uh, feel like we are in fact really moving in a, in a direction which is again evidence-based so that the the science that's behind um, these sorts of programs and the science that goes into uh, even balancing out the number of uh, trout that might be in various fisheries is, is definitely being looked at by you as well. Is, is that correct? I think you're doing some, some work on that. That's right. Uh, staff have been working now on looking at how many fish do you stock into a lake and when is, when is it too much? When is it not really adding any benefit? And, and it's the same with anything else. You know, you can only put so many sheep in a paddock. And so if you have a drought, the last thing you want to do is add more fish. So you have to have it in balance. One way to do that is to estimate how much is being harvested from a lake, and then estimate if there really is a benefit of actually putting in a few more to extend that ability for people to harvest. And mm -hmm. um, another way to look at wilder fisheries that might have historically been stocked as a bit of an off bonus from a big sea run salmon hatchery operation, well, we've got a few extra fish, we might as well put them in here, uh, is now to sort of reevaluate, well, does that fishery benefit from stocking? What is the natural bottleneck for actually saying how many fish it is. If it's food limited, it doesn't really matter or help if you put in more fish. Mm -hmm. um, you can look at the age structure. If there's lots of old fish, then clearly harvest is not having such a detrimental impact. Conversely, if it's only many small fish and they're never getting older than two or three years, well then clearly harvest rates are probably too high and, and it could benefit from some additional recruitment. Fine. Now, uh, one of the things that I found quite interesting in terms of, again, questions that have been brought up on our various uh, social media sites um, regards the number of hatchery fish that appear to be caught in the base of the WIMAC currently. And I know we've discussed the costs of that, but uh, I've heard several um, reports that the number of fish being caught uh, with finclet situation is disproportionate to what would be naturally uh, expected. Perhaps you could comment on that as, as, uh, as an observation and, and whether or not you, you see that as being um, something which is in actual fact the case. Right, so this is a great question. Um, it's important to think about representation when you talk about how many fish are being caught in one spot and what it means for the whole river. Um, so if you want to know how many hatchery fish are being caught in a whole river system, you have to survey the whole river, not just one spot. And you have to put those numbers caught at that spot in, in, in relation to all the fish caught around the whole catchment. Um, the lower Waimakariri River has, has traditionally been one of the hatchery release areas. 
and it's Silver Stream Hatchery, which is a commercial production hatchery, the old fishing game hatchery. Um, obviously makes some of those fish. Um, it had, it was, we used it as a grower facility. Um, and the idea being that the fish would be home to there, they would hold in the lower Waimakari River for an extended period and therefore be more exposed to angler harvest. Uh, and, and so if you just measure down the lower river, it might seem like large proportion of the fish caught are hatchery fish. It's wrong to assume that that's the same over the whole river. There are lots of fish caught further up in the Waimakariri, and hatchery fish represent a small proportion of those. There are some that stray all the way up to the top, for sure. But um, on the whole scheme of things, they represent a small proportion of all the fish caught in the river. And Fishing Game put this data together at the end of each year, and there are different ways to look at it. And one of the key things that you've got to do well is to do your surveys well so you actually get good data. This year, we've combined together with Central South Island, and we're laying the framework for a fundamentally robust and modern harvest survey on salmon. We're going to be ringing around you anglers out there. We're going to be asking you to actively partake to us. So one of the things you can do to help us is to keep good records in your diaries of what you've caught, where, what it was, wild or hatchery. And as we work our way into next coming seasons, we are hoping to do this on a more frequent basis through the season, bi-monthly or monthly. And this is an essential information gathering tool for us. If we're gonna manage salmon well, maybe even with a seasonal bag limit, we need to understand where are fish being harvested, by who are they being harvested, and when are they being harvested. Lower, middle, upper river, November, January, March, April. All those questions are essential to guide our harvest management strategy. I know that one of the topics of consideration uh, that I've heard uh, in the ongoing management of salmon is a season bag limit. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of an update on where that might be? Sure. So we applied for, for a season bag limit tool. It's not quite finished yet, but it's looking really promising. And so we're starting to plan now across Canterbury for consultation with anglers. How do we do this in CSI in North Canterbury nationally? Um, we are looking together with the Sea Run Salmon Committee to probably host a public update and speaking forum, a public meeting sometime at the end of this season, end of April, probably. Uh, most likely, I'd like to get Dr. Robin Holmes to come down to maybe answer some questions about the hatchery report. We'll have some of the staff present some of the proposals around how could a season bag limit trial be implemented, what would the benefits be to harvest management, what would the pros and cons to anglers be, and get really good feedback. And we'll need your feedback here. Uh, we, from the staff side, see this as a really useful tool, but everything about salmon management isn't just about science. There's a huge component of, of social and political aspects to it as well. And this is a common resource. We need to find ways to, to share it fairly, uh, but also manage it well in the views of the common people. So, so that'll be an important event to put on your calendar. Um, if you're interested in salmon, listen out and find the opportunity for a salmon meeting at the end of this season to consult on season bag limits, on regulations going forward, and help us devise the best proposal for how we can manage this wonderful resource. When it comes to 
obviously looking in our own area, we've got North Canterbury that looks after from basically the Rakaia uh, north. And then we've got uh, Central South Island uh, who are from the Rakaia south. How are you finding the collaboration? I mean, we're obviously doing some interesting things here in North Canterbury. Uh, how do Central South Island and North Canterbury mesh in terms of their broad-term uh, salmon strategies and the way that they're doing things? Because I do understand that they still run uh, volunteer-based hatcheries uh, in, the, in their area. That's right. Um, so one of the wonderful things that's happened in, in the last two years since the Salmon Symposium in 2017, which was in Ashburton, is that North Canterbury Fishing Game and Central South Island Fishing Game have come together and started formulating a combined Canterbury-wide salmon management strategy. One of the key things that's come out of that is the ideas around exploring the tool of seasonal bag limit to maintain harvest in a balanced proportion and also exploring ways that we combine can protect those valuable spawning and rearing areas in the high country as well as combine our efforts on fish screens, which is a massive problem across Canterbury. We have some of the most intensively irrigated lands in the country. That water is taken from our rivers. Uh, if it's taken in the wrong way, it can have some really bad impacts on many fish species, salmon, smolt included, but also native fish. And this is a big work program now looking at compliance of fish screen. Uh, at the moment, Environment Canterbury have a report in the making suggesting that pretty much all of the ones that they've looked at have major problems and we really need to get the irrigators as a community and the regulators to lift their game on this to show some real solid commitment to actually making some technological advances. We need better tools and better understanding what the problems are. Um, so we're working together really well. Now they have a different view in Central South Island at the moment but We've involved them in our workshop on hatchery enhancement and how it fits in and the future of it, where and when and how, if at all. And they were part of that. They have had Dr. Holmes who wrote the Cawthron report about hatchery enhancement in New Zealand come down and speak to them at their AGM. And they had some governors come up and work with us and we're all working together in the National Sea Run Salmon Committee. And this has been a great forum um, we're trying to work with the other South Island regions interested in salmon. And so, so I feel really positive that it's heading in the right direction, that we're all working together under one umbrella. I have a question here regarding uh, the effect of co the competitions which are now currently being run. Uh, salmon competitions like the Rakaia Salmon Competition or, or those that are on the WIMAC. The, in this day and age, we were so sort of salmon conscious and we're very conscious of the take of those salmon, um, is there a place for them? Great question. You know, we're really working hard on trying to grow a different way of thinking about salmon as a resource, right? It used to be a harvest fishery, bottling fish. Now it's really a, a, a cherished event, and we've got to think more wisely about how we use it, you know? And, and releasing fish comes into that. Don't harvest your limit, limit your harvest comes into that. That's a whole mindset. Um, so how does salmon fishing competition fit in? Well, um, to some degree, the councils around the country have taken the view with fishing competition in general and salmon fishing in particular here in Canterbury that if the river is fishable, most of the people would be out fishing anyway. We all heard the old story that 90% of the fish are caught by 10% of the anglers. And that's certainly true for both species and especially for salmon, probably more like 4 or 5% of the 
the anglers. Now, those successful anglers, they would be out there anyway. Um, there is also a legitimate concern that, you know, a, a big competition with lots of prizes can attract a lot of lucky dippers. And if the conditions are perfect, they might just get lucky and they, they wouldn't have gone otherwise. And this adds a bit of harvest. The way we deal with this is that we look at the harvest competition uh, from, from a competition. We look at the amount of fish harvested there as a proportion of everything in that whole catchment for the year. And we need to make a call from year to year whether it's okay or not. And um, this year, for the 2020 fishing season, there is a fishing competition on the Rakaia coming up shortly and one on the Waimakariri in, in March. And the council in August and October 2019 took the decision that on balance, they felt that it was more beneficial to have the competition than not. One of the key reasons for that is that competitions are a celebratory event of our love for the rivers, our devotion to the fish, and they kind of give us a focal point which can be especially important in times of really, really low returns. It's important to bring people together and celebrate the value that we place on the river in the resource. And I hear people from time to time say, look, we should just close the rivers for five years. Everything will magically come back. And, and it's, it's a legitimate thing to say. But you have to understand that actually that might not just do it. Because the key thing that is wrong is not just harvest rates. There is one thing of it. It is also habitat and it is also ocean conditions. Salmon are naturally a boom and bust species, kind of like rabbits. And so when the ocean conditions come back, they will come back in good numbers again. But in the times of, of low returns, our job is to make sure we hit all those important things like fish screens, habitat protection, water flow protection, harvest management, so there is enough of them left to quickly rebound when the conditions are right. So that's, that's the view. Well, I found that very enlightening because um, it's sometimes it's easy just to say, oh, ban it all and that will save the harvest. But you're absolutely right. There is a, a celebration that comes from uh, what is an amazing uh, fishery that we have here, and it's, it's so unique in the southern hemisphere. I mean, Chile now have have a salmon fishery, but the reality is that on a world scale, uh, we're very fortunate to have what we have down here. And again, it brings political uh, attention to it as well. I know that um, sometimes it seems almost unpopular to say political uh, attention, but we're in a day and age where uh, certain uh, members of the population would like to see us go back to a pre-European. Uh, type of New Zealand where it didn't have salmon and trout. Now, quite honestly, I wouldn't like that. So, you know, I'm putting my political view there. I, I love the ability to go out there and catch salmon and trout, and that's why, guess what, fish and game is so much about on the fishery side. That, that's right, and it's a good point you raised there. You know, one of the things you would lose if you closed the salmon fisheries, you'd lose the connection with the river and you'd lose the advocates for the resource. And you absolutely have to have that. Every day of the week and twice on Sundays, we who work for Fish and Game and other environmental agencies are on the line fighting to stop the degradation of habitat or the commercial interest to take too much of the balanced pie part of the pie. So that, you know, these resources are under pressure. They're under constant review of how much can we leave in the river? How much do we take for production? Which is a perfectly valid thing to do. You know, irrigation brings many benefits to the Canterbury region with jobs and other things. Our job is to make sure that that doesn't get out of balance. And in some places, it certainly has 
felt like too much has been taken out of the rivers for too long a period and the values that we all hold dear, those public resources like swimmable rivers, mahinga kai, trout and salmon fishing, have suffered. Um, and so that's, that's our job, finding that balance. And we need to connect people to these rivers to show the general nation at large that this is something we value. You need to consider our values. They are part, yes, these species are introduced, but they are now part of our cultural fabric, mm -hmm. especially here in the South. This is a celebratory event. It's like duck shooting in Southland and rest of the South Island. The, the country mm -hmm. stops. Mm -hmm. Salmon fishing is like that. This is a really important thing. White betting is like that too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to speak on behalf of the users and of the resource and, and argue for a rightful place in the nation. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Another question which we've had come through is regarding um, the effect of trawlers that are observed often off a, a river mouth. And the, the basic scenario goes like this. I was out fishing at the mouth of the Rakaia or the Huronui River and I watched a, a, a trawler come past the mouth and I'm sure that it, that trawler has taken the salmon that I would like to so rightfully um, have caught myself. Perhaps you could give... Uh, your take on it, Erasmus, and also Fishing Games' take on it, um, is that really the case? Are those trawlers responsible for some sort of carnage of the wild run uh, of, of salmon that are out there? Yeah, today they're not. So we feel really comfortable where we're at right now. It's something that we keep looking at and we're always going to keep looking at. But in the 1980s, this was a massive problem. And, of course, the 1980s were a period of good, plentiful ocean survival for wild fish and the hatchery fish from the commercial ocean ranching ventures. It was also a really, really busy time for commercial fishing and people were intentionally targeting these species. And out of the 1980s salmon committees came a number of constraints on the commercial fishing industry, a requirement to report all the catches landed, a disincentive economically to selling these where they had to give the money to the government and we benefit to some degree from that, a reporting requirement. And so we've been able now, ever since then, to track what is being caught. We can estimate which rivers that comes from based on some of the work that was done in the 80s with the nose and wire tagging. And, and we should put up a, a figure that shows there's been a couple of fishing game staff, both in the central South Island, the Mark Webb, the fishing game officer down there, and Steve Terry here in North Canterbury that have looked at this for the Rangitara River and more recently for the Rakaia River, looked at if you calculated those fish that were caught by ocean trawlers as bycatch, and let's be clear here, it's mainly people fishing for red cod. Those trawlers go at a certain speed. They fish a certain area at a certain time of the year around the Banks Peninsula where there's a little bit more likelihood to catch salmon. Most of the years, it's a couple of hundred kilos. It doesn't convert to a large number of fish if you look at the average size. And so we don't think across all the rivers on the East Coast that it's having a significant impact. It has some impact, for sure, but it's not significant. It's not a major problem. Um, the odd year, it can blip up. Um, a couple of years back, we had a couple of hundred fish caught by sandfish fishing industry. About half of those were estimated to be escapees from Makaroa salmon. And obviously, Sanford didn't like this, so they actually took the decision to stop fishing for red cod for the rest of that season, which we were elated about here. And 
it shows up as a little bit of a blip on those figures we'll put up. So mm -hmm. again, it's a topic that gets talked about probably when the fishing isn't very hot. Um, it's helpful if people get themselves informed and actually stick to the facts rather than there's nothing worse than the rumor mill out there, mm. that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about this and blaming somebody else. We need to understand that salmon and the numbers that we see now, they are really a symptom of how we treat nature at large and particularly what the ocean conditions are like. There's another species out there that a lot of Canterbury anglers will be familiar with that shows us what nature is like. And that's smelt, the silverings. And they've, they've been quite conspicuous with their abundance uh, in previous years and now mm. quite, quite recently in very, very low numbers. And that's a key signal that something isn't quite right there. Whether it's spawning habitat just above the first ripples and unhealthy estuaries or just simply too warm water in the ocean We've had record-setting temperatures in the last few years. Mm. Is this part of the mystery? We don't know. And we've asked NEWA scientists to look at this. We're having a dialogue, and these are great things to follow up on. Because we know smelt are really important for our sea-run salmon fishery, our estuary fishery. And so the key focus here for us going forward will be smelt and, and sea trout. Mm. Well, hopefully you found that very, very informative. I want to thank you very much, Erasmus, for your, your input into there. Um, this is part of our ongoing uh, desire to be able to communicate things that regard our, our, our fisheries uh, to, to you guys out there. Sometimes it's uh, the domain of those who are on the inside who hear about these things. And uh, one of the things that I am so grateful for is that we're demystifying a lot of stuff that's out there. So um, we see this as a very valuable tool to be able to communicate on an ongoing basis. And uh, we certainly welcome your questions and answers. Now, I know that we've dealt with a lot of the questions that came through uh, in, in kind from our various uh, social media platforms. And if we haven't addressed what it is that you really are concerned about, please, please feel free to go and, and ask us again. I mean, at the end of the day, our thing is, we do not want to just say, here it is, fait complete. We want to help you to become part of the decision-making process and understand that your opinions and your questions are very relevant to us because the more we have a, uh, a basis of a whole pile of people knowing what's going on, then the more we can move the uh, whole fishery in a direction that we want it to go. And I think it's quite sad sometimes when we're fighting each other and not really trying to work towards the common good. Our consideration here is very much for the common good. So we do appreciate your time, and we will be doing this again. Can't tell exactly when, but um, we'll see. Uh, I know that there are a few things uh, on the uh, agenda coming up which might really relate and impact on what you guys are doing. I've, uh, I, I know that being able to, to fish in more places in winter has been one of my uh, pet loves, and I know that um, we might see a few things along that as well. But just if we carry it out there, unless you want to comment on that. Oh, well, maybe that's best dealt with for future podcasts, but we're looking very closely at increasing the opportunities, uh, which is, is an exciting thing for winter. Oh, sounds good to me. Fantastic. Thanks very much.